Well, good morning. My name is, uh, is Thomas, and I'm the, the lead pastor here at uh, Ambassador. And uh, we are resuming our study of uh, Colossians. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up uh, there. Uh, we, as Bruce mentioned, we just finished up our series on the five solas uh, of the Reformation. And uh, so glad to, to celebrate the, the 500th anniversary of, uh, of the, the recovery of the gospel. Uh, and now we get to look at, uh, at Colossians as Paul, uh, in essence, teaches the gospel to, uh, to a group of believers that he's never met. But... Uh, but as you're, as you're turning there, and hopefully you have that open, uh, do you ever think about what you think about? Uh, do you ever think about what, uh, what consumes your, your thoughts in a day-in and day-out basis? See, we're constantly thinking uh, and talking to ourselves. Uh, and scientists are becoming more and more interested in what goes on uh, inside of our heads. And they're beginning to understand the importance uh, of what we say to ourselves in our own minds. Uh, and... Scientists have developed a, a term for our conversations with ourselves. They call it inner speech. Uh, and our, our inner speech isn't, isn't bound by the same uh, rules as conversing with uh, other people. We don't have to use full sentences. We don't have to uh, speak uh, coherently. We can, we can think so much faster. They've, they've clocked it at about 4,000 words per minute, that w- what, we can, what we can think in our minds, which is 10 times faster than what we can say in a conversation with others. So think about that, 4,000 words uh, a minute. And you, so you think about how, how many words we say to ourselves throughout the day uh, and what an influence that has upon who we are. Um, and uh, the sum total of our own thoughts uh, to ourselves th- during a day is going to be even more uh, than what we would uh, converse uh, with, uh, with other people. Now, guys, we can probably get by with like 2,000 words a day and several grunts, uh, but ladies have a lot more words uh, to get out and to share uh, with others. So when you, when you compare and contrast, you, you talk to yourself more than you talk to anybody else, uh, and you have conversations with, with yourself all the time. So, so again, that, that importance of have you ever thought about what you think about? Uh, how often do you evaluate your own your own thought life. And, and as, as modern scientists are beginning to be amazed by this, of how fast we can think and what an influence this has upon our lives, uh, the Apostle Paul already understood that 2,000 years ago. Uh, because what he's going to address today with the Colossians is their thought life, what they, what they are to think about and how often they are to think it. Uh, he, he's going to be speaking to them and addressing them uh, because Paul knew that, that their hearts and their lives would follow their thoughts. Uh, that, that thinking, uh, in essence, steers the ship, steers the course of their lives. And so Paul is going to be addressing them uh, today. So uh, today we're going to look at Colossians uh, 3, verses 1 and 2. But, but I want to backtrack just a little bit uh, to, get the, to get the context so we can get a, get a running start in, uh, because we, it's, it's been a while since we've been in Colossians. Well, well Colossians, uh, the first uh, 23 verses in chapter 1, uh, Paul is speaking to people that he's never met. Uh, and so the, the first 23 verses are, are, in essence, very lengthy prayers, thanking God for the Colossians' faith and then also uh, weaving in uh, who Jesus is and uh, what he has done. See, the Colossians, there was, uh, Paul had never gone to Colossae, but somebody from Colossae came to him in Rome. Uh, a man named Epaphras made a thousand-mile journey to go from Colossae to Rome uh, to bring uh, some issues to, to the Apostle Paul. He says, hey, there's, there's, there's certain things being taught in the church that he was uncomfortable with, and now Paul is writing in response to that to, to clarify doctrine and to teach them uh, truth. Uh, and one of the things uh, that uh, was an issue was, who, who is Jesus? What has he done? Is he, a, is he a created being, or is he the creator? Uh, is he uh, the one who uh, is in subjection over all things, or is he subject to other, other powers? Uh, and what Paul says is that Jesus is the creator and sustainer of everything. And how much is everything? That's an exact number, right? Everything is all, everything. And that's what Paul makes clear in verses uh, 1 through 23 in chapter 1. And then uh, in verse 24 through chapter 2, uh, verse 5, Paul introduces himself because he's never met these people. He, he's explaining to them the calling that he has uh, from God and what he has been charged to do. Look with me at chapter, chapter 1, verse 24, as he's explaining what his ministry is all about. 
Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. So he's speaking, he says, Paul says, I have a stewardship. I'm supposed to declare the word of God. I'm supposed to, to declare this mystery which has been hidden for a long, long time. And what is that mystery? Well, look at verse 27. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, see, Paul is a minister of the gospel, and what he was sent to proclaim is this reality of if you believe in Christ, you are united with him. Christ is in you, and you are in him, and that is a tremendous, tremendous blessing. And then he, he, he makes that clear. This is what he has been called to do, to declare this mystery, and then he's going to spend the rest of the letter unfolding what that looks like, because it's kind of vague, right? What does it mean that Jesus is in me, and I am in Jesus? Uh, the rest of the letter is going to going to unfold that. Uh, and as he's writing to them in chapter 2, verse 6, he begins to then uh, issue instructions. Chapter 2, verse 6 is going to be the first command of the letter, and it's to, uh, to walk. Hey, as, as you've received Jesus, continue to walk in him, and then we're going to have another command in chapter 2, verse 8. And it's basically watch out. So he tells them walk and watch out because there's going to be those who are going to bring error into the church and lead them astray. And those are uh, the most dangerous uh, thing in the world is actually wrong ideas. Right? We saw that in our series on the Reformation. Uh, if you tell people that they can go and earn their salvation, uh, and especially as we saw in the Crusades, the Crusades started because you had two, two re- religions saying you can earn your salvation through works by going and fighting against the other. Right? And, and so when you have a works-based system of uh, salvation, uh, people are going to, going to pursue that. And that's what the Colossians were getting back into. And, and, and Paul's saying, no, don't fall trapped to that. Don't, don't be taken captive by philosophy. Don't be taken captive by um, other, other... If you jump down to verse uh, 16, he's, he's going to begin to describe other issues, other false teachings that were creeping into the church. So we had philosophy. We also had ritualism, the idea if you just observe certain holy days... Uh, and go through the motions on certain things, you would be uh, saved. In verse 18, he talks about uh, mysticism, exalting experience and visions above God's word. Uh, and then in verse uh, 23, he talks about uh, asceticism. It's a, a fancy word for saying that, that denying yourself uh, is, the, is the means of, of becoming holy. Denying yourself to the point of abuse is, is the means of salvation and sanctification. And and Paul's point in, in verse 20, if you look there, he's, he's reminding them of, a tr- again, the truth of their union with Christ. He says, if with Christ you died. See, that when the believer is united with Christ, we, we are partakers and we, we share with him in his death and in his resurrection. And verse 20 is saying, hey, if you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why do you still submit to them? If, if you die to something, you're set free from it. Uh, but, so why are you still submitting to it? And right on the heels of that, if we, if we have died with Christ, did Christ stay dead? Is he, is he still in the tomb? No, he, he resurrected. He ascended to heaven. And that's where we come to Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Read with me. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. See, see, after outlining everything that the Colossians weren't supposed to pursue, don't follow philosophy, don't follow uh, ritualism, don't follow mysticism, don't follow asceticism. Now he lays out what they should do. And the, the path is Christ. Seek him, set your minds upon him, pursue him. And that, that, is, that is what he's going to, to lay out today. Now, and he's, he's going to give them a theology reminder. 
He's going to remind them what they already know, and then he's going to, to tell them why it's important. He's going to unfold it for them. He's going, to, he's going to give them a theological truth and then explain how that theological truth uh, should impact their lives on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis. Uh, and he's going to address their thinking because that is the seat of our worship. What you think about is going to reveal a lot about what you worship. So what should the Christian think about? What, and how often should we uh, think about it? Well, this morning we're going to see, we're going to see two aspects of our, of our resurrected life. We've been resurrected with Christ. Uh, First, we're going to see the reminder of that resurrection. And then we're going to see the responsibilities of that resurrected life. Because there's implications for that. Uh, If if we have been raised with newness of life with Christ, uh, what then are we to do? Uh, And there's expectations and and there's commands here. And that's what what I want to to look at. Next week, we'll look at verses 3 and 4, which would be, uh, the reasons, the, the motivations for living the, the resurrected life. But all we have time for today is, is looking at the reminder and then the responsibility. So uh, let's look first at the reminder. And it's, it's in verse 1, just that first phrase. If then you have been raised with Christ. Uh, and, the, and the if isn't, isn't saying a hypothetical maybe it happened, uh, but it's, it's better thought of or understood as since. Of hey, since you, then you have been raised with Christ, these are the implications. Because this is true, now you need to live in this way. That is what Paul is saying. And the believers have been raised with Christ. Now, what does that mean? Did we, did we all physically die when Jesus died 2,000 years ago? No, we weren't even born yet. Uh, but what he's saying is that when we, when we died with Christ and when we were raised with Christ, he's speaking of, of spiritual invisible realities. That our old self died, the old sinful man died with Christ uh, our sin being paid for, and now we have been raised uh, to, a, to a new life in Christ. Just as Christ uh, rose again, uh, we are raised to newness of life. Uh, and the, if you, uh, a verse that made such an impact upon me was Galatians 2.20. Uh, Therefore, I have, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And that, that verse made an impact upon my heart because I realized that I couldn't say it, that it wasn't true of me, and it, and it just pierced my soul. Uh, and that's what, what led me to, to pursue Christ wholeheartedly because I realized if Christ has died for me uh, and now I'm raised to newness of life, the life that I live should be lived for him. Uh, that, that's what Paul says. That should always be our confession as believers, that Christ died for us, we have died with him, and now we live uh, for his glory. Uh, and also notice just, just with this little phrase, of, so if then you have been raised with Christ, it's speaking about something that has happened in the past. Right? It, it's already taken place. Also, it's, it's something that we did not do ourselves. Okay? Uh, is anybody able to, to resurrect themselves once they physically die? Uh, and we're not, we're not able to, to raise ourselves to newness of life when we are spiritually dead. Uh, and so this is God performing an act upon the believer. This is something that we are passive in, that God acts upon us and he saves us. He raises us to newness of life. And, and Paul is issuing this reminder because it has implications. Because if, if we have been raised with Christ to, to new life, and it's because uh, we are united with him that we have new life, then the implication and the question is, why would we turn to anything else? Right? If Christ is the one who has saved us, if Christ is the one that we have been united with and we now have a new life with, why would we turn to something else after that takes place? Paul's point in the previous paragraph is, hey, you've died to the old world system. And if you've died to it, why do you continue to submit to it? Why do you continue to, to follow man-made rules and regulations to try and make yourself holy when, when the only true path to, to holiness is Christ? You can't make yourself holy in the eyes of God, but Christ is the only way. And so what he's saying is if you've died and if you've been resurrected in Christ, why would you turn to anything else? But that's, that's our natural tendency, is it not? To turn back to our old sins and our old way of life because we have habits, right? We do it without thinking. Right? And habits are an amazing thing. Imagine if you had to learn uh, each and every morning how to retie your shoes. 
All of us would have been late this morning, all right? Uh, and so habits are a good thing, but when, when the old man dies, we still have those habits, and now we're in the process of, of, of putting to death those habits and, and starting new godly habits. Uh, and so we naturally have this tendency to pursue our old sinful ways, and, and this is common in Israel as well. In the Old Testament, uh, in Jeremiah 2, uh, God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, he had this to say about Israel. And Israel is God's chosen people. They're the ones who had his word, who had seen his glory. And this is what Jeremiah writes to the people. He says, has a nation changed its gods? And even though they are no God, even though they are no gods, but my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now cisterns were uh, kind of these underground storage areas where they uh, would try and capture rainwater as it ran off. Uh, during the, the flood season. So they'd want the, the water to be caught in these, these big holes in the ground, and then uh, the, the, these cisterns were imperfect. How does Jeremiah describe them? They were, they were broken. Uh, and so uh, which would you rather have? Uh, muddy uh, rainwater that's run off the ground and is now leaking uh, into the ground. Would you rather drink out of that cistern, or would you rather drink out of the fountain of living water? Which one's going to be more pure, more clear? Yeah, that fresh fountain that continues to gurgle up. And and Jeremiah is saying the people of God have turned from the fountain of living water and have gone back to muddy, murky grossness. Right? And that's our that's our natural tendency. Yeah, even though we are we have been raised with Christ, even though we've died with Christ, we we still at times will will turn back to to sin. And what Paul is saying here, remember what's happened to you in Christ. Remember that you have died and you have been resurrected with him. And then the implications, as we're going to see, is that they should set their minds on him, that they should seek him. But, but understand that our faith in Christ unites us with him, and we are now inseparable from him. And our union with Christ in his death and resurrection, it gives us hope like nothing else can because we have already been raised to newness of life. It's not something that we have to, uh, to seek and, and try and fight for, but it's something that's already taken place when we have believed in Jesus. Uh, it's a fact that we are to rest in, not something that we should seek. Uh, and that's why it's so important to understand our identity in Christ. And we'll talk about this more next week. And just that, that statement of when Christ, who is your life? Uh, we are to identify first and foremost as uh, Christians, as those who have been united with Christ uh, through faith. But, but under, if we understand this truth uh, in, in our small groups, in our, uh, what we encourage is, is everybody to be reading their Bible and then to, uh, to kind of do a little bit of, of bullet journaling. Uh, I kind of ask some questions of the Bible. First and foremost, uh, what does God want you to know from this? Uh, what's the knowledge? What's the truth? Uh, and then just a simple question, do you believe it, right? Sometimes the, the greatest distance in the world is uh, from our heads to our hearts. Uh, we can know something intellectually, but we don't genuinely believe it uh, in our inner person. Uh, and then if we truly believe something to be true, then it should impact and change our character. Uh, and then from after transforming our character, what we think about, what we treasure, what we choose, it then should impact our actions. And it, there's, a, there's a flow to that, and Paul's demonstrating that here. Say, so, hey, this is what's true. Uh, this is what you know to be true. Paul's already proclaimed it to them. Uh, this is what you know to be true. Do you believe it? And then here are the implications. This is how it should transform you inwardly and outwardly. And this is what he's uh, going to be pointing them to. Uh, and as uh, as Johnny read in in Philippians 3:20, we need to understand the implications of this. Our union with Christ. This is why Paul can say that our citizenship is in heaven. And we await uh, from heaven a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, that that this, this little truth that we uh, have been united with Christ and raised with him, it's a reminder of theology, but it's an re- important reminder. Now, one, one pastor says this in, in teaching on this passage. He says, Paul reminds the Colossians that they have been risen with Christ. And this is the path to holiness, not self-denial, angelic expression, uh, or angelic experience or ceremony, 
They are no longer living the old life they lived before their salvation, but possess the eternal life of Christ and have been raised to live on another plane. They must not be ignorant or forgetful of who they are and how they are to live. All sinful passion is controlled and conquered by the power of the indwelling Christ in our union with him. So Paul, to begin with, he reminds them of this theological truth, and then he lays out the implications. And now, now we're going to see the responsibilities of our resurrected life. At the end of verse 1 and in all of verse 2, there's going to be two, two commands. Uh, let's look at those verses. So uh, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, command number one, seek the things that are above where Christ is. And then command number two, Uh, I'm sorry, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And then command number two, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. These are the the, the two expectations, the two responsibilities. If you've been united with Christ, this is what you are now called to. And the first command is to to seek, seek the things that are above. And, And by commanding them to seek something, Paul is in essence telling them what they should desire. What, what they should pursue or uh, what they should set their hearts upon. Uh, what should they treasure in their own hearts? Uh, and they are to desire and to pursue the things that are above. Well, well what are the things that are above? And I, I, would, I would define the things that are above uh, refer to, to spiritual values that characterize Christ and his kingdom. Now, the spiritual values that characterize Christ and his kingdom. Okay. Uh, what are the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Uh, that's what we should be uh, preoccupied with. That's what we should uh, care for and have an affection towards. Additionally, uh, humility, forgiveness, purity, wisdom. We should uh, have a desire to be like Christ our Savior. And we should set our hearts upon that. Uh, and and when he says that, that that we should seek, there's a uh, the way that it, that it's written there in the in the Greek implies that it's a it's a continual seeking. We are to keep on seeking Christ, keep on seeking things that are above. It, it's it should become a habit. It should be something that we do repeatedly and continuously, and we should persevere uh, in that. Uh, in the in the 1968 Olympics uh, in Mexico City. Uh, at about 7 p.m. at the at the stadium, there was a, uh, the stadium was kind of emptying out after a day of track and field events, uh, and uh, the gold medal for the for the marathon uh, had been awarded about an hour earlier, and uh, suddenly uh, there appears this this figure entering into uh, the stadium, uh, and. It was uh, John Stephen Aquari, and, and he was the last runner of the marathon. He was wearing the colors of Tanzania, and he was uh, grimacing in, in agony as he hobbled uh, toward uh, the finish line for the last 500 yards uh, of the race. And he had taken a serious fall in the race that had ripped uh, a hamstring and badly grazed uh, the skin on one of his legs. Now, he was bleeding and cramping, but tenaciously he shuffled toward uh, the field uh, end of the finish line. And the, and the crowd uh, quickly regathered to to cheer him on, uh, and he he made it across the finish line. Uh, he just collapsed uh, from sheer exhaustion and pain, uh, and and everybody was so so encouraged by that. And a reporter came up to him afterwards and said, "Why didn't you just quit? You I mean you were seriously injured. Why didn't you just stop running the race?" And he said, "My country didn't send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me here to finish the race." Uh, see, under, he understood uh, what he was called to do. He understood that he, w- he was needing to persevere in that calling. Uh, and see, Christ didn't, didn't just die so that we could be forgiven. Like, yes, that's a part of it. He died so that we could be forgiven. But then he, he resurrected. He was raised uh, and ascended to heaven so that we would have newness of life now. And that's what Paul has relayed to them. And now he's encouraging them to, to persevere in that, to continually and to, to make it a habit of seeking Christ, seeking the things that are above, things that are attached to Christ and his kingdom. Now, and, and the, so even though there, there's an implied a, a, of, of perseverance here, that we, that we continue to seek Christ, uh, and, and the seeking is important, but 
the greater emphasis is placed upon what we are to seek. Because if you look at our culture today, uh, what's celebrated is, I would say, workaholic, right? Uh, the person who, who gets to work early and stays late. Uh, and so it's a common thing to, 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 be pers- to persevere uh, and to, to work diligently toward a goal and to seek something. That's, that's a common trait in our world today. But, but what's uncommon is to, to seek and pursue heavenly things, right? To seek and pursue uh, spiritual concerns over earthly concerns. It's really easy to, to work diligently so you can buy that boat or you can buy a bigger house, or you can buy all of, these, all of these things. It's really easy to work hard for that, but do we work diligently? Do we seek and do we value heavenly things? And, and that is, that's what's uncommon in our society, but that's what should be common among God's people. That's what should be common in the church. Uh, and then, and then uh, I love Paul's mindset. He's always, he's always asking the question why and then answering that for us in the text. All right, and we we can be like little children. Uh, you say, seek seek first uh, the things that are above. We can say, well, why? Uh, well, that's what he answers next. He says, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And say, why why should we seek the things that are above? Number one, that's where Christ is. Uh, the most important thing about heaven is that's where Jesus is, uh, and, and because Jesus is there, that makes heaven. Uh, enjoyable, and that's why we must pursue heavenly things, the things that are above. Uh, on Monday of this week, uh, we we took a, a trip over to uh, to the Mormon temple that, that's open to the public uh, up on Linder Avenue, just before it gets dedicated. Uh, it was interesting to to go and visit and see uh, what will eventually be closed off in a couple weeks. And b- before they take you through a tour of the temple, uh, they have you watch a little video. Uh, and on that video, it's interesting, they, they, they really try and reach people. Uh, they appeal to the, to the emotions and, and, in essence, are saying that you can be uh, a forever family, that you can be uh, together forever as husband and wife and as children. And it's like, yeah, what, what mom wouldn't want to hear that she's in control of her kid's salvation, uh, right? That, that's, every, that's what every parent wants is to be with their child forever, but each individual needs to stand before God on their own. But what, what really hit uh, hit me and stood out to me, and my wife said the same thing afterwards, is that there was uh, an, an elder or a leader of the, the Mormon church who, who who's, uh, he gets on, comes on the screen, he's talking about heaven. And he says, I just, I couldn't imagine heaven without my wife. And, and I said, okay, that's, that, well, that's good. But he, and he was, he was getting very emotional, and there was no mention of, of Christ. There's no mention of the glory of God. There's no mention of the joys of getting to be in the presence of our Creator for eternity. God was absent from their picture of heaven, and heaven becomes all about them and their family. And it's just amazing of that little that little skew of no. Is heaven about being with your family? It's like hey, that's a that's a, a side benefit, but heaven wouldn't be heaven without Christ. There's no point in going to heaven if Christ isn't there. It's like as we as we looked last week, uh, when when Moses is on Mount Sinai and, and he's interacting with God, uh, and God says, "Hey, you go up, send the people up, but I'm not going to go with you to the promised land." And, and Moses says, "No, we can't go without you, Lord. We, we won't do it. You've got to come with us." That's the reality, and that's the mindset that we should have with heaven. Of, of we need to love and pursue heaven because that's where our Savior is. Uh, and the pursuit of heavenly things must be centered upon a pursuit of Christ. Uh, and that's, that, that's the first little reason that, that Paul throws out there. Why should you pursue the things above? Because that's where Jesus is. Secondly, uh, Jesus is seated at God's right hand, at the, the right hand of the Father. And one one pastor has said that this is a place of unrivaled prestige and unparalleled authority. To be at the right hand of God the Father is the greatest position in the universe. Uh, when, when James and John want to, they approach Jesus, what, do they, what is it they ask? What request do they make? Lord, let us sit at your right and left hand. They want those positions of authority, but Jesus is, says, you guys don't know what you ask. I can't, I can't give that away. Uh, that's to whom it's appointed to. But Jesus is the one who sits at the right hand of the Father. And this is an allusion to, to Psalm 110, verse 1, which Jesus quotes, which is actually the most 
quoted Old Testament verse in the New Testament, Psalm 110, uh, Yahweh, the Lord, Yahweh says to my Lord, Yahweh says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. that's, that's what this is in allusion to. Additionally, Ephesians 1, verses 19 through 22. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his grace might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. That's describing what it means to sit at the right hand of God. And there was a whole lot of exact numbers there, right? All things, everything. Everything in the universe is subject to Christ because he sits at the right hand of God. It's uh, it's a place of power and authority, but it is also a place of intimacy because at the right hand of God the Father, it is there that also Christ intercedes for us and prays for us. The Bible says that we have an advocate with the Father. We, it's like we have a lawyer. Uh, we have somebody there representing us to God. Uh, and Romans 8.34 says that Christ is constantly interceding and praying for us. When you don't know what to pray for, Ask Jesus to pray for you. When you don't know what to pray for, ask the Spirit to pray for you because uh, they are both part of their intercessory ministry is to pray on our behalf to God the Father. Hebrews 7.25 says, Consequently, he, speaking of Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Uh, Just the amazingness of, of that Christ is praying for us right now. So those are the the three reasons that Paul gives for why we should seek heavenly things. uh, Christ is there. He's at the right hand of God. uh, And it is a place of of intimacy where he intercedes for us. Uh, And in this this command that Paul gives of of seek the things that are above, set your hearts on the things that are above, this is an instruction to to our inner man. It's a command to to our hearts regarding what we are to love and what we are to pursue. Uh, And as a compass uh, always orients itself to the north, uh, our hearts should always orient to heaven uh, because that's where Christ is. We are to be uh, preoccupied with Christ and his kingdom. That's what this looks like. Uh, to, To seek the things that are above is to have a preoccupation with Christ, a preoccupation with, with spiritual things, uh, and that we are to set upon our hearts upon Jesus as our king. We are to, to value his plan and purposes, his glory and his reputation above our own. We are to view the things, people, and events of this world through the lens of Scripture and with eyes uh, that look and see and interpret with uh, an eternal perspective. But this is difficult, isn't it? Uh, to, to, to set our hearts uh, to, uh, to value the things that are above. That's why I love that song of Come Thou Fount of, uh, Lord, I'm prone to wander. Lord, Lord, I feel it. It's difficult to constantly be affixed to Christ. Uh, we are imperfect compasses, so to speak. Uh, so this is a difficult task to, to set our hearts upon heavenly things. It's a, it's a pursuit that no Christian has ever carried out perfectly. Uh, so you're in good company, or I guess bad company, uh, in our obedience to, in our obedience to this. But but it's a task that we must constantly remind ourselves about. And it is a direction that we must constantly reorient ourselves to. Uh, and, and seeking heavenly things is inseparably linked to the second command uh, of thinking about heavenly things. Uh, if we look at, at verse 2 now, of set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Uh, the idea of setting your mind upon something is to give your mind or to orient yourself or to constantly fix your thoughts, uh, to meditate on. Uh, one pastor said this, this word does not refer to a purely mental or intellectual process, but to a more fundamental orientation of the will, meaning that you get to choose what you think about. Right now, I know sometimes there, there, there's the, the pressing needs of the day and thoughts can pop into our heads, but for the most part, what we think about is a choice that we make. And so what Paul is addressing here is, hey, you need to choose to set your mind 
on things that are above. You need to choose to, to meditate upon spiritual concerns. I love what John Lightfoot, a, an, an old Puritan, says, of, you must not only seek heaven, you must also think heaven. Uh, and and that, that's, the, that's what Paul is saying here, uh, that, that we need to, uh, to set our hearts and our minds upon Christ, upon heavenly things. Uh, and this verse articulates not only what we are to think about, but uh, what, we are, uh, what we are not to think about. Uh, and there, there's a contrast here, right, between the things that are above and the things that are on the earth. Uh, and they are, they are diametrically opposed. They are polar opposites, uh, to, to, be, uh, to be frank. Uh, of, of the, there's not really any overlap uh, of the things that are on earth and the things that are in heaven. Uh, John 8, 23, Jesus uh, said to them, speaking to the Jews, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. He, he makes that same comparison, that same contrast of, hey, the things above are very different from the things that are below. And later on in Colossians 3, 5, we'll see that we are to, we are to put to death what is earthly in us. Uh, and, and part of how we do that is, is choosing what we think about. Uh, have you, do you ever think about what you think about? Uh, and that, that's what is the emphasis here. And, and when you are consumed with thinking about Christ, do you ever notice you, you have no time for sin? Uh, when you're so focused on, on pursuing Jesus, when you're preoccupied with things above, the things on earth lose their, lose their appeal. They don't look nearly as, uh, as uh, appealing to our hearts when we're constantly thinking about God. When, when we're meditating upon the holiness of God, the, the ugliness of sin becomes ever more obvious, doesn't it? And that's what Paul is encouraging here. And the reality is that your, your affections will follow your meditations. Uh, your heart will follow your head. Jesus says, uh, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, if you think often of sin, uh, what will you soon be committing? Sin. Whatever, whatever sin that you are meditating about, Right, because we always do that. Before we commit sin, what do we do? We think about it. And if you're, if you're brooding over it and trying to decide whether or not you should, uh, you should sin, uh, it's a guarantee that your actions will follow your attitudes and, and your thoughts. Uh, the heart will begin to treasure whatever the mind is meditating upon. So we must be aware of where our mind goes. Do you think about what you think about? Paul is calling us to choose to think about heavenly things instead of earthly things. Uh, and so we have to make a little bit of a clarification here. So does that, th- does that mean that we, have to, we put no time or energy regarding anything material or anything on earth? So dads just say, hey, you know what? I'm no longer going to go to work. Uh, I'm no longer going to go grocery shopping. I'm just, going to, uh, I'm just going to sit at home and read my Bible all day, every day. Is that what Paul is saying here? No. Uh, that's not what he's saying. What he's not saying is that there is nothing important about earthly matters. What, what he is rejecting is an earthbound mindset, a mindset in which uh, the only things or what is most important is earthly, physical, or temporary. Uh, if you can only get it here on earth, it's not worthwhile to pursue, right? And, and there's, there's things on earth that are immaterial and that we often try to pursue, right? The, the praise of men. Right? Those, those likes on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, right? we count them up. How many is it now? Uh, wh- what are we looking at? Uh, we, all, we all cherish the praise of men, and that's, is that going to matter in heaven? Is anybody going to be praising you in heaven? No. They're, they're, they're going to be praising God. They're going to be giving him the glory. And so often we, we pursue a human achievement. We pursue things uh, on this earth. Uh, rather than the things that are above. And Paul's point here is that the things above are of greater importance and of greater value uh, than anything that we can pursue on the earth. His point is that spiritual growth comes not from uh, all of the things previously mentioned, not from human philosophy, not from observing rituals, not from abusing yourself and self-denial, not from uh, religious experiences, but from seeking Christ. Uh, Paul's two commands here are directed to the heart and to the head, and both of those commands are foundational to worship. All right, what, what he's really addressing here, what he's really saying is you need to worship Christ above everything else. Uh, Stuart Scott, a, a pastor and biblical counselor, says this. He says, We worship that which we serve, speak about, sacrifice for, seek after, 
and spend money on. So if you really want to evaluate your life and say, what, what am I worshiping? What am I seeking? What am I setting my mind on? Uh, what is it that you, that you naturally gravitate towards? What, what do you spend your money on? That will reveal what you really worship and what really matters to you. So, so, we have to, so we have to ask ourselves of this. We've taken inventory. Paul said, hey, here's the reminder and here's the responsibilities. Now we have to, now we have to ask some questions of, what do you think about when, when you have nothing else to do? What, what, what do you choose to, to dwell upon? What's, what's your go-to? Uh, and what do your thoughts reveal about what you're worshiping? And oftentimes, again, like we said, we have responsibilities. Sometimes we can be consumed with what we need to do for work or uh, raking up leaves and, and blowing out sprinklers during this time of the year. Sometimes we're consumed and overwhelmed with, with all that we need to do around the house. But when you have downtime and there's nothing else pressing, where does your mind go? And this is, this is so difficult in our day and age because what's always with us in our pockets our, our cell phone, right? And it's, it's like we've, we've developed this habit and this pattern of whenever I'm bored, whenever, my, whenever I might have to start thinking about something, what do I, what's my tendency? Well, what's on Facebook? You know, what, what's, what's on this? Well, how do I... Uh, and this, this reality, of that's, a, that's a choice that, sh- that we're making. Uh, that, that's a habit that we've gotten into and, and we've become preoccupied with, with things that don't, that don't really matter uh, we, we've be, become preoccupied with the, the earthly things. And the reality is that in, that in our downtime, our mind needs to gravitate towards Christ. See, and see, most of America, including, including Christians, pursue, pursue earthly treasures. Uh, that, and they think that those matter above most. Pa- Pastor R. Kent Hughes says, says, Our culture has rewritten Psalm 23. Uh, and I'll read his uh, revised uh, version, that, which is written in jest. So... Uh, don't think less of him. He's a, he's a great pastor. Uh, but he says, this is what our culture has rewritten Psalm 23 to be. The Lord is my banker. My credit is good. He giveth me the key to his strong box. He restoreth my faith in riches. He guideth me in the paths of prosperity for his namesake. Uh, so often we, we pursue distraction. So often we pursue material things. So often we pursue what does not matter. And our mindset is, needs to be a, a deliberate act of our will because we are called to choose to think. Think about this. This is, a, this is Paul addressing what you should think about. is Christ and his kingdom. And we are called to loosely hold the things of this earth. And so how, so how do we do that? How do we set our minds and our, our hearts upon heavenly things rather than things on the earth? You say, number one, prayer. Right, number one, we need to we need to pray because we're going to be uh, horrible at this to begin with. Our, our natural default is going to be to think constantly about earthly things. So number one, we need to pray and ask for help. And even in that act of prayer, what are we doing? We are setting our minds on things that are above. So first and foremost, prayer. Secondly, we need to to meditate on on the Word of God. All right? If uh, if you make daily Bible reading uh, a habit. That's a good thing, but how often do you remember what you read that morning? Right? You're like, oh, I checked it off, but now, now it just kind of goes in one eyeball and out the other, so to speak. Uh, the reality of, hey, read it and then chew on it. Read it and then review it throughout the day. Hey, what did I read? Why is that important? Meditate upon God's word. Digest it slowly. Prayer, meditation. I would also say memorization. When was the last time you, you memorized any portion of scripture? And, and not just a verse, but hey, Sit down and, and memorize uh, a psalm. Memorize uh, one of the New Testament epistles. Uh, you can do it. You can do, the, you can do Colossians if you do two verses a week. You can do it in a year uh, and, and review it. Memorize God's Word and then recite it to yourself, digesting it slowly uh, and, and turning it over, examining it in your mind. Of What is this saying? Why is it important? So prayer, meditation, memorization. And then, then hold things with an open hand. The things of this life, your, your, your property, uh, your, uh, your preferences, all of those things, of, of hold it with an open hand. Don't hold it with a, with a vice grip. Say, Lord, what, what can I give over to you today? What, how, Lord, how can, what can you take away to help me pursue heavenly things? Right? That would be a radical prayer, right? Lord, what do you want to take away to help my heart treasure heaven above things on the earth? 
And then lastly, I would say, think about what you think about. Understand where your mind goes throughout the day. And, and focus upon what is most important. Pastor John Kitchen says that, that this, this passage tells us to believe Bible information. That you have been resurrected in Christ. We are, we are to believe Bible information and then we are to practice Bible imperatives or commands. That you must seek and set your mind upon heavenly matters. Uh, that same pastor says that we are responsible both for the, for the posture and the pursuit of our minds. What we set upon and what we seek after. Uh, and Paul addresses our hearts and our heads here. Uh, and for those of us who are, who are already doing this imperfectly, uh, Paul would say, keep on doing it. Paul actually already acknowledged that they're motivated by, by uh, heaven. If you, if you look back at chapter 1, verse 5, or actually, at the end of or verse four. So, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all of the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, see, Paul already acknowledged that they they are loving one another because of the hope that they have of heaven. They are already thinking about heavenly things, and that leads to a greater earthly love for one another. Paul already said, commends them for that, and he, in essence, commands them to do, to keep doing it. So, if you're already doing this, keep on. Uh, and, and, and pursue to grow in it. But if you're, if you're not doing it, if you're, if you're here this morning and you, you're like, this is all kind of new and, and, and strange. If you're talking about being united with a, with a man who was uh, killed 2,000 years ago. Uh, yeah, but what we are called to do, because we are all sinners in need of a Savior, we are called to uh, not try and earn our, our salvation because we can't do that. Uh, we are called to place our trust in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. A holy God demands a payment uh, for rebellion against him, and Christ paid that on the cross. And then he, he died and rose again, showing that God accepted that sacrifice. And now everyone is called to place their faith not in themselves, but in Christ. And we're called to turn from our sin and trust in Jesus uh, and if you haven't done that, we, w- we would love to see you do that today. We want to encourage you to do that because that's what, that's what the Bible encourages all men to do. And not just to do it one time, but to do it constantly. We ha- need to have a, a lifestyle of turning and trusting in Christ. Um, and that is, that is what Paul is saying here. Uh, there, there's an interesting uh, exchange between uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson uh, in, in one of uh, Sir Arthur Cannon Doyle's books. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> Watson... Uh, told uh, Sherlock Holmes about uh, the Copernican view of the solar system. And in essence, hey, the, the sun's in the middle. Uh, and, and Dr. Watson was shocked uh, to hear that, that Sherlock knew nothing about that. Uh, but, but after learning of it, uh, Holmes told Watson, now that I do know, I shall do my very best to forget it. And Watson is stunned. He's what? Uh, to, you'll do your best to forget it? And then Sherlock Holmes gives this explanation. As you see, he explained, I consider that a man's brain uh, originally is like a little empty attic. You have to stock it with such furniture as you choose. A fool takes in all the lumber of every sort that he comes across, so that the knowledge which might be useful to him gets crowded out, or at best is jumbled up with a lot of other things, so that he has a difficulty in laying his hands upon it. Now the skillful workman is very careful indeed as to what he takes into his brain attic, He will have nothing but the tools which may help him in doing his work. But of these he has a large assortment, and and all in the most perfect order. It is a mistake to think that that little room has elastic walls that can distend to any extent. Depend upon it, there comes a time when for every addition of knowledge you forget something that you knew before. It is of the highest importance, therefore, not to have useless facts elbowing out the useful ones. And in our 21st century world, it's, it's very easy to, to fill our minds with, uh, with trivial things, right? We've even made a game of it, Trivial Pursuit. Some of you may know that game. But uh, at, the end of, at the end of that conversation uh, between Dr. Watson and Sherlock, Dr. Watson, uh, did, you know, Sherlock says that, that he would acquire no knowledge which did not bear upon his object. Therefore, all the knowledge which he possessed was such as would be useful to him. Sherlock Holmes, this fictional character, says, hey, I'm not going to worry about things that don't matter. I'm only going to worry about what really matters. 
which is also the heart of the, the Apostle Paul when he says uh, to the Corinthians that I, I determined to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. That was the Apostle Paul's uh, attitude, that he would have a, a heavenly mindset. So what are you filling your mind with? What are you choosing to think about? And may we set our minds on things that are above rather than things that are on the earth. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we want to look to you. We want to set our, uh, our hearts, our affections upon you and your kingdom. We want to set our minds upon spiritual matters, the things that are above rather than the things that are on the earth. But, but Lord, we do this imperfectly, and you know our hearts even, even better than we know our hearts. So we come asking for your help, asking for your spirit to empower us, to remind us, uh, to bring to remembrance your word, to help us remember spiritual truths. Lord, help us to be preoccupied to be consumed with heaven. Not because we may have loved ones there someday, but because the one who loved us is there. Lord, help us to pursue heaven because you are there. Lord, we long to be with you. We long to to represent you well while we are here. Lord, I pray that, that you would help us to set our hearts and our minds upon the things that are above, that we might be a better witness, that we might be better ambassadors to the lost in our community, or that we might be examples to them, that we might be salt and light, and that they might see our heavenly mindedness and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Lord, strengthen us for the task ahead. Help us to be aware of what we are thinking about. And help us to choose to dwell upon and meditate upon the things that are above rather than things that are on earth. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. We desperately ask for your help. In Jesus' name. Amen.